be back in the book of Joel tonight. The book of Joel, and uh, we'll be in chapter number three, the last chapter of that book. We'll fin- actually finish that book tonight, hopefully, if the Lord doesn't come back. And uh, hopefully the Lord will come back, but uh, if He doesn't come back, hopefully we'll finish it and, and uh, get into the book of Amos next time. If you've been watching the news, I'm sure you've heard about uh, UN Resolution Resolution 2334, I think it is. I might have the numbers right, but it's the latest UN resolution, resolution condemning uh, Israel. And uh, uh, if you've watched the news, it's interesting. Uh, it almost reads like the book of Joel. In fact, I heard a CBN commentator talking about this division of the land that they're advocating in, in, in Israel that the UN is advocating. And he says that, that that's, a, that's a fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel where uh, chapter 3, where uh, there's this effort by the nations to, do, actually there's not, an, not just an effort, they actually divide up the land of Israel and God judges the nations for that. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, and, and like I say, it's, it really is applicable to the news that we're, we're seeing about the nation of Israel. It's amazing how that little sliver of land stays in the news. And the Bible predicted it would be like that, that it would be a burdensome stone around, around the necks of the nations. And, and uh, oh, how true is that? But anyway, let's, let's begin in chapter number three and verse number one. He says, for behold, in those days and at that time, and this is the Lord speaking through the prophet Joel, he says, when I bring back the captives of Jude to Jerusalem, that I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people. Now, who are his people? Is he talking about the church here? You know, he, he's talking about Israel. And all these people who believe in replacement theology, I don't know what Bible they're reading. Because when he's talking about my people here, he is not talking about the church. He's talking about in the last days, bringing this judgment against the nations because of his people, Israel. And if, you, and if you're confused about it, he says, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have also divided up my, whose land? My land. They've divided up my land. Now, when he says in those days, there's no doubt he's referring to the, to the latter days. And then he says at that time, there's no doubt he's referring to the day of the Lord. And so the events that are being prophesied right here are the very last days, beginning with the great tribulation. And the great tribulation ends where? At the battle of Armageddon. So what we're seeing in verses 1 and 2 is a picture of the battle or a prophecy about the uh, battle of Armageddon. We're going to be looking at those days when the Lord works out his final solution for Israel. You realize that the Lord has a plan for Israel? He has a final solution for Israel. And you're going to see that it's not in the gas chamber. You're going to see that the final solution for Israel uh, is given to us right here in these, this, this last chapter of Joel. So what's going to happen? At the beginning of the tribulation, you remember what happens? Uh, the Antichrist will force a treaty 
a peace treaty upon Israel. And uh, it's going to be uh, either you take this treaty or we're going to annihilate you. And it's going to be a swap of land for peace. The land is going to be divided up according to the will of the nations, not according to the will of Israel. And doesn't that sound familiar? I mean, that's exactly what UN Resolution uh, 2334 is all about, saying that Israel must give up uh, all the territories that it obtained uh, in the 1967 war. It has to give all of that up, including Jerusalem, including the, the, the Western Wall, including the wall of Solomon's temple where all the Jews go to pray. That They've got to give all of that up. They've got to give all of that up uh, to the Palestinians. And uh, look at what it says here. It says, they have divided up whose land? My land. Who owns that land? God owns that land. But who has God given that land to? He's given that land to Israel. You read Psalm 105 and it says that the land of, uh, of Jerusalem and all of that land of Israel, all of that land of Canaan has been given to Israel as an eternal inheritance. It's God's land to give. It's not the UN's land to give. And God has given it to the nation of Israel. But are the world leaders of this world concerned about what God has to say about this? No, they don't listen to God. They don't obey God. They don't care about God's will. Who do they listen to? I'm going to tell you who they listen to. They listen to the devil. Their father is the devil. And one day they're going to force this treaty upon Israel. And uh, uh, then Israel will be promised this lasting peace. But what's going to happen? In the middle, in the middle of that treaty... Three and a half years into that treaty, uh, we're told by, in the book of Daniel and we're told in the Olivet Discourse that the Antichrist is going to come into the temple. He's going to break the treaty. He's going to declare himself to be God and excuse the French. All hell's going to break out as far as Israel's concerned. I mean, they're going to give Israel, Israel's going to suffer the greatest tribulation it's ever suffered in its history. And if you go back and look at the tribulation that they suffered in World War II, it's going to be much worse than that, worse than we can even imagine. And, and uh, Joel's going to describe some of that here in a minute, but, but go with me over to Matthew uh, chapter 24 for just a second, because Jesus described this time, time which isn't very far off based upon what we're seeing in the news. Look at Matthew chapter 24 into the Olivet Discourse. And I want to start tying all this together because we're heading soon into the book of Revelation. And you've got to have an understanding of all of these things in order to make sense of what happens in the book of Revelation. And we'll try to come back to some of these texts when we do get into Revelation. I'll tell you what, I, it was, I, maybe you were here when we went through Revelation the first time. How long have you been here? Six years. So it's been maybe eight, ten years since we went through the book of Revelation. And I thought I had it figured out pretty good back then, if you can figure out the book of Revelation. But a lot of it has changed after studying some other books and studying Daniel and studying uh, what we're studying here in Joel and in the Minor Prophets. I've seen some things that have kind of tweaked my theology about the end times. And, and uh, again, you've got to have an understanding of all of it. But it all ties together and it fits perfectly. It fits like a glove when you, when you take all of these passages in context. 
But if you go to Matthew chapter 24, look with me beginning in verse number 15. It says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet, Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. So who's he talking about standing in the holy place? He's talking about the Antichrist. Whoever reads this, let him understand. I mean, if you can read this with your spiritual ears and you hear this, hey, you can understand this. Then let those who, who are in Judea. Now, Jesus obviously is talking about the end times here. If you, if you got to be stupid not to see that the Olivet Discourse is about the end time. So who does he say to flee? Does he say all of you in the United States flee to the mountains? Is that what he says there? Does he say all of you in Europe flee to the mountains? Who does he say? All of you in Judea flee to the mountains. Because this great tribulation, you're going to catch the brunt of it. It's going to be the nations coming against you. The Antichrist coming against you. And let him is on the, who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Because you're not going to be able to run. And, and those of you who do run in verse 20 and pray that your flight may not be in winter of the Sabbath. Because it's going to be tougher. For what's going to happen in those days, there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor will, shall there ever be. They're going to catch a very, very, or they're going to be put into a very, very terrible, terrifying situation. And then Joel's going to tell us a little bit about that situation and how bad it is uh, as we go on in chapter number three. And we're talking here again about the end times. And when Israel is persecuted at the end of this, uh, when this treaty's broken, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, Israel is going to be persecuted beyond uh, anything we possibly can imagine. Look at verse number three. They've cast lots for my people. The nations have. They've, you know, my people have become chattel to them. Have, they have given a boy as a payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. See, that's how bad it's, you understand what he's saying right there. Where are their parents? I mean, if this is happening, where are their parents? Their parents have been slaughtered. And all that's left are the children. The children are turned into slaves and they're sold for almost nothing. And uh, then it says in verse number four, Indeed, what, they have, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon? That's in Lebanon. And the coast of Philistine. The, this is the area, Lebanon, the land of the Philistines, and the land of Israel that we see today in the modern day Middle East, that all belongs to Israel, that has been given to Israel. So, what the Lord says, you nations, this, in, in, at the end of the Great Tribulation, the Jews are going to be cast out, they're going to be persecuted, they're going to be scattered all over the earth again. So there's coming another time when Israel loses that land, loses power over that land. And when they do, the, the people in Lebanon and the Palestinians, the Arabs, are going to populate all of Israel. But the Lord says to them, what do I have to do with you? You're in the land, but you're not my people. He says, indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the coast of Philistine? Will you retaliate against me? I mean, you've kicked my people out and really you've, re you've come against me. But if you come against me, if you retaliate against me, 
swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own hand. You kicked Israel out of the land. Guess what's going to happen? Now you're going to get kicked out of the land. You've made the Israelites their children. You've turned them into slaves. Now your children are going to be turned into slaves. What you did to them, I'm going to do to you. That's what the Lord's promising them. You terrorize them, I'm going to return uh, your terror upon your own head. Because, verse number five, because you have taken my silver and my gold and carried away into your pagan temples, my prized possessions, also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, you have sold to the Greeks, to the nations, that you may remove them far from their borders. Isn't that exactly what the Palestinians want to do with the Jews? They want to kick them. They don't care about a two-state solution. They care about a one-state solution without any Jews there. That's their ultimate goal. And they continue to state that. And so the Lord's wise to that. And one day they're actually going to get that. They're going to start out with a peace treaty. And Israel's going to let all of these, they're going to allow themselves to be divided in such a way that they can't defend themselves. And eventually that land, is, they're going to be cast out of that land and the land's going to be occupied by the, the Arabs. And so he says, also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, you have sold to the Greeks that you may remove them from your borders. Now look at verse 7 and 8. He says, behold, I will raise them out of the place which you have sold them. I'm going to bring them back in the land. And I will return your retaliation upon your own head. You're going to be the ones cast out. And I'm going to sell your sons and your daughters into the hands of the people of Judah. You will become their slaves. You've made my people slaves throughout the world. You're going to become slaves. And they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off, for the Lord has spoken. Now, you think the Lord knows where his people are? He knows where every single person on this earth is, first of all. But he certainly has the, his eye on the apple of his eye. And when the Jews are scattered in this day, he's going to know where every single one of them are. And in his timing, he's going to bring them back into the land. You know what I would love? I would love for somebody to be bold enough to go to the UN one day and stand before that assembly and say, let me give you God's plan for the nation of Israel. Let me give you God's solution for the Palestinian plight. Let me give it to you. You want to know what it is? Let me tell you what it is. I, I, I wish somebody would stand up. I wish people, there was people bold enough to stand up to the Reformed Church who advocates this replacement theology, somehow that Israel, God is done with Israel, and, and, and stand up to them and say, no, God's not done with Israel. This is God's plan for Israel. What's God's plan for Israel? One day they're going to occupy all of Lebanon and all of Israel. What we see today, Lebanon and Israel. That is the land that God originally gave them. And they're going to occupy all of that land. And they're going to occupy it forever. Uh, but before all of that happens, there's going to be a battle. And we know that battle is what? The battle of Armageddon. Where all the nations of the world are gathered to battle against each other, really, and against the Antichrist. Israel sees been defeated. 
And I used to think that Israel would be the one who fought against these armies. I don't believe that anymore. I believe that Israel will have this defeat that Jesus describes in the Olivet Discourse that Joel describes right here. And then the Antichrist is going to take power. He's going to declare himself to be God. And then some nations are going to come against him, especially that nation out of the east, that 200 million man army. And they're all going to gather in the plains of Megiddo. That's why it's called Arm means a valley. Megiddo, Armageddon, Armageddon. That's where the, the battle takes place, where this 200 million man army and all the armies of the world, probably another 200 million are gathered there. And they're gathered there by God to be destroyed so that, nation, that Israel can come back in and reoccupy that land. And that's really what Joel 3 is all about. It's about the battle of Armageddon. Now, wait a minute, Pastor, are you sure about that? Because it said, says here that I will, in verse number two, I will also gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, which is it? Is it the valley of Armageddon or is it the valley of Jehoshaphat? Well, some scholars believe that it's the valley where, where Jehoshaphat fought against the Ammonites. You remember over in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 when uh, Jehoshaphat, uh, this great army of Ammonites, as many as soldiers as there is, this, uh, uh, pebbles on the sand of the sea. You know, there was this, I think it was an exaggeration, but this very, very large army came against Israel, much larger than the armies of Israel. And Jehoshaphat had this great victory. God gave him this great victory over those armies uh, in a valley. Well, and some people say that's the valley of Jehoshaphat. I don't think so. Uh, because if you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the valley is actually named and it's in Gedi. And so what is Joel saying right here? Well, the name Jehoshaphat are those Hebrew words right there. And in the Hebrew, you can't tell whether it's a proper name or whether it's just two words. Those, those two words, and it's really two words, is Jehovah judges. That's what the name Jehoshaphat means. Jehovah judges. So really, I think what Joel is saying here in chapter number three, verse two, that these armies, all the nations are going to be gathered together down in the valley of Jehovah's judgment, which is none other than what? Armageddon. So I have no doubt that this, what we're seeing here at the end of uh, or really in the middle of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, is this uh, picture of the uh, battle of Armageddon. Listen to what he says in verse number 9. He says, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty man. Let all the men of war draw near. You see what the Lord's doing right there? He's setting a trap for all the nations. All the able-bodied men of these pagan nations, hopefully the United States won't be part of this, but all the pagan men of these pagan nations are going to come and gather in this valley of Jehoshaphat at Armageddon. And so let them draw near. God's got plans for them. He says, let them come up. And, then listen, and, and, and if you're reading in Revelation... You see that a lot of events take place. There's a lot of wars that, that uh, are precursors to the Battle of Armageddon. And so all the nations are preparing for war. And so listen to what he says. Beat your plowshares into swords 
and your pruning hooks into spears. And let the weak say, I am strong. In other words, build your militaries up for this great day of the battle of Armageddon. Does that passage in verse 10 sound familiar to you at all? It's just the opposite of what Isaiah said when he spoke about the millennium. Remember what he said in Isaiah chapter 2? He said the swords will be made into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks. And here the prophet Joel says, no, not yet. Before that happens, we're going to have this great war where all the nations are going to take every piece of metal that they can find and they're going to turn it into a weapon. They're going to turn it into a tank. They're going to turn it into a missile. They're going to turn it into some kind of military weapon. You know, it's really interesting if you go to the U.N., in the lobby of the U.N., there is a bronze statue of a man. You can look up on the Internet and you can see a picture of it. Of a man beating his uh, sword into a plow. He's turning his sword with a hammer into a plow. And I understand the message. The message is that we want to get rid of all the weapons of the world so that we can have peace. But how ironic is it that this body, that so-called body that uh, the United Nations that uh, boasts of its power to bring peace will actually bring, be the body that is used to bring about Armageddon. I have no doubt about that now. I have no doubt about this. It might be called something else in those days, but this one world government, this League of Nations uh, will be what causes all of these events to transpire because they will do what they want to do to Israel and then God will do what he wants to do to them. But they will initiate these end times through their actions against Israel. And isn't it amazing again that this very week, I mean, I mean we, usually you go into the holidays and there's no major news to even watch and all of a sudden you've got the Obama trying to sneak this thing. He, he didn't just try, he got it done. Him and Kerry and what's, what's the Secretary of State's name? I can't even remember her name now. I don't even want to hear her name. Huh? No, no, the, the Rice. Yeah, Rice. Not Condoleezza Rice, but a different Rice. Yeah. And uh, you got them making this agreement to, to throw Israel under the bus and, and uh, demand that they really give up all their right to protect themselves. Listen to what the Lord says, though. He says, assemble and come, all you nations, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be awakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat to, to Jehovah's judgment. For there it, I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. When all of these nations come against the Antichrist, then the Lord is going to judge all these nations that have persecuted Israel. All these nations that have lived in rebellion against him. And in those days, uh, uh, it will be a time where all of these unrepentant people uh, become what's known in the Bible as the grapes of wrath. Because look at the next verse. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is right. Now, this isn't the harvest of souls for salvation. 
Come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The you could say the day of the Lord is at hand. The day of the Lord begins with the great tribulation, ends at the end of the millennium, but right before the millennium begins, we have this battle of Armageddon. And this multitude, look at what it says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Really, you could say millions upon millions are gathered together in this valley of judgment to be judged by the Lord. The grapes of wrath. Look at, look at, go with me to Isaiah for a minute. An interesting passage kind of parallels this. Go back a few books to Isaiah. Chapter 63. Listen to what he says there. Look at verse number two. He says, why is your apparel red? Speaking of, to the Lord. I'm in Isaiah 63, verse two. Why is your apparel red? Now red meaning what? Bloodstained. And your garments are grape stained. And your garments like the one who treads the winepress. And then the Lord speaks. He says, because I have trodden the winepress alone. And the, from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger. I have trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments. And I have stained my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart. And the year of my redeem has come. That's the good news about Armageddon. It's the year of his redeemed. And those blood-stained garments from Armageddon are similar to those blood-stained garments that he had on the cross when he suffered that terrible death, his broken body and his shed blood for us. And he did it all alone for salvation. In the same way, his garments are going to be stained with the blood of those who reject him in the in, in the uh, day of his wrath. The nations who have rejected him are going to be trampled down and their blood will be shed. And those who choose him will be saved by his blood. In verse number 12, things are going to be so bad and, and a lot worse. And we're just getting the highlights here. You, when we get into the book of Revelation, we'll see. Man, there's a lot of things that preclude what happens here and uh, a lot of things that that uh, are really terrible that take place. But so he's just kind of giving us the highlights. But look at verse 15 and 16. He says, the sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. There will be so much debris and destruction that you won't be able to see the sun. You won't be able to see the light of the moon. The Lord also will roar from Zion, utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the Lord's going to land on the Mount of Olives. And when he does, the heavens and the earth will shake. But the Lord will sh be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. When he lands on that Mount of Olives, it's going to be such an earthquake that the, uh, the mountain is going to split in two. And the whole world is going to shake. The heavens are going to shake. But the Lord has come to shelter his people and be a strength to the children of Israel. He's come with his saints to 
to rule and reign. We're going to rule and reign with him during the millennium. And then, good news. It's all over. And the Lord dwells in Zion. What a great day that's going to be. Look at verse 17. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I was studying for Sunday's passage earlier today. And in that passage it says, no one has seen God at any time. Well, guess what? You will see God. He will be dwelling in Zion in Jerusalem. He says, you sh so you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy. Why will it be holy? Because the Lord's there. And no aliens with evil intent towards Israel shall ever pass through her again. And all of those people that mean harm for Israel, those days are over. In fact, Israel will be the center of the government of the world. The Israelites will be the most envied people on this earth other than the saints of God. That's you and me. I mean, Israel will be the apple of God's eye, and no harm will ever come against them again. Verse number 18, it shall come to pass that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine. I mean, things are going to be so good. All the crops are going to be plentiful. There's going to be a, the, the, the heaven. It's not the new heaven and the new earth that we get in eternity, but the earth is going to be made, made over by the Lord. It's going to be made special by the Lord. The hills shall flow with milk. And the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. And where's that water going to come from? A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and, the, and water the valley of Acacias. All those valleys around Israel are going to be watered by this great fountain, this river that flows forth from the temple. Can you imagine how beautiful that's going to be? It's not going to be a dirty water. It's going to be a spring of water, a, a waterfall like you've never seen before. The bluest, most uh, that crystal, almost like that water you see down in Destin, but it's not salt water. It's clear water is going to flow down into those valleys and water those valleys around Jerusalem. But there's something else going on here. There's going to be a spiritual fountain coming forth from that temple. And it's going to water all the valleys of this world. Acacius refers to, to, to grieving and, and, and difficulty and and no longer will there be that difficulty because it's gonna, those waters are going to flow down into that valley. And, and, and the spirit is going to flow throughout this world. And we're going to be living in such a wonderful place. And then in verse number 19, he says, Egypt shall be desolate. Now, now part of Egypt, the nation will be saved. But God's going to leave a scar on this earth for everybody to see as a reminder of what happens when you come against his people. A reminder of his judgment. So he says in verse 19, Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness. Because of violence against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their, in their land. And then in verse 21 he says, but Judah shall abide forever. How long? That's not spiritual Judah. That is Judah shall abide forever. And Jerusalem from generation to generation. As I said earlier, Jerusalem will be the center of the world in that day, in the millennium. And as we move into eternity, it will be the center of the universe. That very city, that new Jerusalem where you and I dwell, will be the very center 
of the universe. And then the last verse in the chapter, he says, for I will acquit them of guilt, of the guilt of bloodshed, whom I had not acquitted. For the land, for the Lord dwells now in the millennium in Zion. What a glorious day. And remember how all of this started out. When we started out the book of Joel, what was it all about? It was about judgment. It was about judgment on a nation. And that Hosea kind of had the same theme about a nation who was past saving. About a nation who had sinned so much against God that God couldn't do anything but judge them. He couldn't do anything but destroy them and put them into captivity. And in a few hundred years after this, the Babylonian captivity was coming. But the prophet looks past that day, way out into the future, way out in around 2017, somewhere around, I'm not giving you dates, but we're not far off. And he looks out and he sees a day when they're going to, the nations are going to come against them again. They're going to be regathered in the land and the nations are going to come against them again and they're going to force them to divide up that land. And then they're going to make a treaty and it's going to last for seven years. And in the middle of that treaty, that treaty is going to be broken. And as I said earlier, they're going to face a tribulation like no other tribulation ever seen on this earth. No other persecution ever seen on this earth. But then the Lord's going to return. And he's going to return to the Mount of Olives. And he returns to the Mount of Olives. Then they, he will pour out his spirit upon Israel, we're told in Zechariah. He will pour out his spirit on Israel and they will look upon him whom they have pierced and they will mourn as a mother mourns for her firstborn son who's lost. And they will realize who the Messiah is and they will be acquitted of their sin. That won't happen until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled and the great tribulation is over. But when that happens, the nation will be acquitted of all the evil that they've done. Why? Because the Lord dwells in Zion. The Lord dwells in Jerusalem. So watch the news. Don't let it scare you. Look up, your redemption draweth nigh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the encouragement in your word. And Lord, that even the, the most difficult of times are all part of your plan, Lord. Your plan to restore this earth to the glory that we had before the fall, Lord, to restore the human race to the glory that we had before the fall. Lord, to restore your nation before they fell over and over and over again. Lord, we just thank you for, for what you're doing uh, in this world to, to make this a better place, even now, Lord. And we know that one day you're coming, and Lord, come, and that day is soon a day when you'll dwell in Zion, and Lord, you will rule and reign. Oh, Lord, we, we long for that day. We long for that day, but until that time comes, Lord, help us to be about the business you've called us to be about, and that's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ so that others may enter in on these great promises that you've given to all those who believe in him. Father, we just thank you for Jesus. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.